Uh, The reading of the scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. So I uh, invite your uh, reverent hearing, uh, God's word, hearing and faith of the reading from Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, um, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Uh, But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We uh, often uh, celebrate and honor uh, worldly accomplishments, as we should. Uh, We do that in myriads of ways. There's a hall of fame for virtually everything in America. We acknowledge achievements, and again, I think as we should. Many of them are stellar, and they uh, add to civilization, uh, perhaps make our lives easier, great accomplishments in medicine, science, engineering, economics, and on and on. Good that we can honor men and women who um, contribute things of great value. When it comes to the spiritual world, the accomplishments of men are really nothing. There is only one accomplishment that means anything. And it is an accomplishment that is so breathtaking and beautiful that we should 
bring to it uh, our believing and our following as a way to honor and esteem it. And that accomplishment, of course, uh, pertains to the great and only King Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And so in verses 1 to 8, the Apostle Paul uh, proclaims the messianic identity of our Savior. He's done this before. It's a repeated pattern, is it not? But he repairs to it again and again. Uh, The uh, ensuing backlash, a form of uh, tribulation, we should imagine frightens the Apostle Paul, uh, but God affirms his divine presence and protection, verses 9 to 11, as he does to us. Uh, All who uh, are righteous will be persecuted, and we need to be reminded that God is with us and will protect us uh, in our journey to heaven, and we have myriads of promises to that end, that uh, the forces of evil cannot harm us spiritually because of Christ our Messiah. Uh, The uh, persecution will cause the persecutors to go to civil government uh, to to harm the Apostle Paul. And of course here, uh, civil governor denies the claims of the religious persecutors. It's a good reminder, by the way, that ultimately that is where religious persecution will attempt to go to go to civil government to harm the church. It's a threat. I'm not so sure, by the way, it's not a looming threat uh, whose clouds are forming over our country. Pray that God would restrain evil uh, and always be reminded that God will protect us. But Paul is in the Aegean city of Corinth that was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. Very interesting to note uh, culturally that uh, the temple of Aphrodite was there. Aphrodite was the goddess of love and pleasure. The city was well known for its immorality. By the way, we know from 1 Corinthians that immorality had entered the church, Corinth. Our culture is awash in immorality. And we must, as God's people, be very careful. But in, as I suggested, verses 1 to 8, the messianic identity is claimed by Paul and rejected. So Paul, true to form, uh, goes to synagogue. Uh, Silas and Timothy bring a financial gift uh, to the apostle Paul so that he can uh, devote his time, instead of making uh, tents, to uh, studying and proclaiming the Word of God. Devote himself entirely to ministry. If you would look at uh, chapter 18, verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, The uh, direct object I draw your attention to is to what he's doing. We know what he is doing, solemnly testifying, but to what? The content. The word that Jesus was the Messiah. 
He's the Messianic king. He is ruling from his throne. And so he does today. If things seem out of control in your life or in our culture, I simply remind you that our sovereign is ruling. Obviously, Paul is making specific biblical references that Luke does not mention. He's silent as to the content. We know what he's doing. We know the content, what he's doing, but we don't have specific biblical references. I've alluded to this in the past. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke of one a towering messianic reference, and that is uh, Christ fulfilling uh, Psalm 110, verses uh, 1 and 2. Our call to worship this morning uh, is an indirect uh, prophecy fulfilled by Christ. He's ruling. He's a messianic king. He will destroy his enemies and gather all who are his. Uh, what are some specific texts that Paul might be referencing before the Jews in the synagogue. And again, I am, if you will, uh, very carefully uh, supplementing uh, Luke as the apostle who's not specific, but I'm going to try to be specific. Well, he might say that John the Baptist was the herald prophesied in uh, Acts, uh, pardon me, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Let me just look, turn with me, if you would, in your, in your New Testament to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 3. Uh, where uh, that particular fulfillment becomes radically clear uh, in all that it means. Again, uh, Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to read uh, verses 2 and 3. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who's he referring to? What's at hand? Verse 3, For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It's referring to Jesus. The fulfillment. And John the Baptist is the herald of Isaiah 40. That's a messianic reference. The powerful, towering, beautiful significance as to who Christ is. And the way is radically important. If you know the Savior, you're on the way. You're journeying in the way. The way that leads to eternity. Uh, we know from Micah 5.2 that Jesus was to be born uh, the tribe of Judah, of Bethlehem. He was destined to rule from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49.10 fulfilled. John writes about it in John 7.42. He was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14, detailed in Luke 1. Again, I don't know specifically as Paul was mentioning any of these texts, but they're certainly messianic. They have powerful significance. Uh, but there is one text that I'm going to speak to this morning that speaks most beautifully to the accomplishments of Christ that are so profound and so incredible that they compel us to believe and to follow. Specifically, the great messianic text of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, that speaks to the accomplishments of Messiah, what he did. We know who he is. We know he's reigning and ruling, but 
What has he done? What's he do for his people? And there's no better place to go than Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. The context is radically important. As you know, uh, the nation is in captivity because of idolatry. And they are ending the time of probation. And Daniel is wondering what's going to happen. I don't see anything happening. So he prays. What a reminder to us in our lives. Uh, we, we think nothing is happening. What is going on? Oh, the church is tattered and worn and broken. What should I do? Well, you should pray like Daniel. So he prays. And the context is Daniel is praying for restoration of the nation because it's been promised in the prophet Jeremiah. And which is very unusual, certainly it's never happened in my life, uh, God's going to answer that prayer immediately. Happens, I know. Uh, but beautifully explained in Daniel uh, chapter 9, God dispatches Gabriel with his answer, which embraces messianic blessings of total restoration and transformation. So God's going to come. He's going to restore the nation. The timing, uh, if you're uh, looking at Daniel, has uh, always been a challenge to uh, exegetes and students of the Bible. Um, my uh, my wonderful father was an engineer, incredible mathematicians, as engineers are want to be. I salute you if you are one. He he gets out this text and goes uh, in a route that I, I confess I don't go to. Uh, but it's just an understanding that the church disagrees. Daniel chapter 9. How do you take the uh, temporal references? Uh, my problem with uh, approaching texts like this from the position of an engineer is this is apocalyptic literature. Uh, and you really cannot interpret apocalyptic literature with the precision of an engineer. It's just simply not, not meant to be. The, uh, the text uh, uh, reads in terms of timing, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people uh, and your holy city. Most interpreters see this as a reference to years. Uh, I believe that they're years based upon sabbatical promises uh, using the numbers of 7 and 10 and, of course, uh, the sabbatical year, and of course, uh, the 50th year of Jubilee. But it's all apocryphal literature. It's a long period of time. Uh, the point is what happens when the time is fulfilled. Well, the coming of Christ is the answer to Daniel's prayer. And Jesus inaugurates and will fulfill every one of the expectations of the accomplishments that his redemptive work will cure the effects of the fall uh, in the end times. He will begin them. It's a radical accomplishment of stellar, magnificent beauty beyond any comparison in our material world. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, 
and to anoint the most holy. The interplay, of course, in the text is between the six infinitives and the direct objects, with God as the implied subject. This is God's answer to Daniel who's prayed for restoration. What Paul is going to tell the Jews in the synagogue, if indeed he is relying on this text, maybe on this occasion or an earlier occasion or on subsequent occasions, is that Jesus is the fulfillment. And that fulfillment in Jesus will run its course until he comes again to consummate what he started. Now, I understand in the church's radical disagreements over eschatology. Uh, to me, I, I just have a very simple mind to kind of look at the text. So let's, let's look at some texts very quickly as to uh, the fact that it's begun. If you want to turn in your New Testament's uh, Gospel of Mark, uh, first chapter, verse 15. Jesus comes into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, notice what he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is his hand. He's the fulfillment. It's fulfilled. It's started. That every one of the messianic promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in him. All prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. It's not my words, it's the words of Jesus. Fulfilled, started, begun. Now I understand they will run a course, but the starting of it is without question. The kingdom is now. The king is now. And that has radical significance to us as the people of God. Fulfillment now. Let's look at another text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. The Apostle Paul makes an application to the current to the church at Corinth because they have permitted idolatry and immorality to come into the church. He reminds them of how God had disciplined Israel of old because of their immorality and their idolatry. Notice what he says in verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Come, the end has come, started in radical significance. Because, by the way, it's come, we should be very careful as Christians with immorality and idolatry. Because the end has started, it's begun, radical significance. Urgency of the significance. Well, so, what did he do when he came? Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. Because our text uh, is going to tell us explicitly what Jesus does uh, to accomplish uh, every one of the infinitives of Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 uh, radically and fully and to set everything in motion uh, because he comes. First, he finishes the transgression. Finishes it. The idea is the completion of a process so that sin is sealed and regarded as it no longer exists. 
All of us are sinners. Come to Christ. It's no longer an issue between you and God. Because of you? No. Because of King Messiah. What he did. He finished the issue forever. I, I understand there's interpretive issues over 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I understand people disagree. I get that. I'm at peace with that. Uh, to me, this is a gospel verse. I'm explaining the gospel to someone and telling them to believe in Christ because of who he is, a messianic identity, and all that he's done. Uh, I encourage them to confess their sins and become clean with God. And they say, well, Phil, what happens when I confess my sins? God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. At one majestic, stellar, beautiful point of time. Incredible in its significance. We are forgiven past, present, and future. If there's some sin out there for which I haven't been forgiven, then I'm not a Christian. I'm under eternal wrath, and I can fall away. By the way, as you know, many American denominations believe you can fall away. Questioning. I believe what Christ did upon the cross and who He is and the starting of the end times. I understand differences. I believe this is the fact of Daniel, the answer to the prayer for restoration. Christ did it on the cross. He makes complete satisfaction for the sins of His people in the totality of its effects. I don't confess my sins that God would cleanse me. I confess because He has cleansed me. I rejoice. I give thanksgiving. I'm also reminded of the power and the necessity of the Spirit of God to affect repentance because He has cleansed me. It's illogical for me to remain in sin because He's cleansed me. I should flee it. Set it aside. To continue to pray that God would give me the strength to abide in repentance. The promise, of course, encompasses the inaugurating, pardon me, the ingathering of all the people of God at the end of human history with the beginning of eternity in which all prospects of a fall are totally vacated forever. Only Christ can speak in terms of forever because He's eternal. Author of the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 12, but He having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. One sacrifice for sins for all time. Who can do that? Only King Messiah. Who He is. Set down at the right hand of God the Father. He finished the work in totality. He finished the transgression because of who He is. What a compelling reason to believe in the Father. Second, He makes an end of sin. Daniel 9.24 Makes an end of sin. It's eradication. The removal is total. Because of Christ, sin will be no more. 
He starts it in the eternal state. Sin will be no more because of who he is and what he did. The fact that it started is incredible. The end state is so majestic, it's breathtaking. Hear the words of John the Apostle, Revelation 22.3. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservant shall serve him. No longer any curse. Totally eradicated. Process begun at the cross. Continuing. Steady, uncontrollable marching until the process is totally completed. In the final estate, which you and I will enter by the grace of God, all threats are removed and will never, ever again be able to re-enter the kingdom of God in the eternal estate. And the eradication is followed by complete transformation. Utterly astounding in the accomplishments of the Redeemer. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35, in verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy on their heads. They will find gladness and joy. And sighing and sorrow will flee Away. Incredible. Flee away. If you're like me, sighing and sorrow occurs all the time in your life. It just, we're fallen creatures because of Christ. There will be no need to sigh to sorrow in heaven. The fullness of everlasting joy of the people of God. Compelling reason to follow the Savior. Unless you want to embrace sighing and sorrow all throughout the eternal estate. Third, He made atonement for iniquity. Christ is our High Priest. He offered Himself. He paid what we could not. His work is the entire basis for our forgiveness. Entire basis. Some human priest is not. Chance and rubbing things, not. Christ alone is the entire basis for our forgiveness. He breaks the dominion of sin over us. And the application will continue until all are gathered. In the interim time, the time of now for each of us, He's still our high priest in heaven. What did the high priest in the Old Testament do? He prayed for His people. What does our high priest do? Makes intercession for us every day, continually. There's no time with Him. He doesn't wear a Patek Philippe to figure out it's my time to go to prayer. And he's always praying because he's always a high priest eternally. Think of the beautiful text of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. He, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood 
permanently. If I'm going to place my hopes in a priest, it's not going to be in one that dies. In fact, as you know, Christ's priesthood is not from the Aaronic line. Melchizedekian. Permanent. Hence also He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. Notice the word save forever those who draw near to Him. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. My friend, that's a priest worth following. Compelling reason to follow and to believe. Because of his accomplishments on the cross. Beautiful uh, reminder of this from uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, verse 21. So we'll be set free from the corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Because of Christ, our great and only Redeemer. Fairly easy to uh, determine uh, reading the first three accomplishments that they're all synthetically parallel. Because of sin being totally dealt with, the following three are also parallel based upon the accomplishments of the first. Uh, The Jewish uh, uh, scholar Hingstenberg, the Christian says this about the following three. The removal of a triple evil is answered with a triple good. And my, what a good will follow. Such good, compelling reasons to believe and compelling reasons to follow King Messiah. Fourth, he brings in everlasting righteousness. Righteousness begun in imputation, which is our legal declaration of righteousness enabling us to stand before God based upon the righteousness of another, namely Christ. Begun in imputation because He imputes what He did to our hearts, to our lives. We can stand justified before God. But it will become permanent in the eternal estate where we are transformed as righteous forever. Forever. Only Christ can do forever. Never again can it be lost or forfeited. Never again. Fifth, he seals up vision and prophecy. All prophetic fulfillment is confirmed in Christ. It's all begun in Him. Radically begun in Him. I understand that's a great debate in the Christian church. Many people hold that there's future things yet to occur to a certain extent. I do too. Namely, Christ is going to come again. But it's all begun in Him. The end of the ages fulfilled. Psalm 110, He's taken His seat at the right hand of the Father. He's a Messianic King. He rules. He's on the eternal throne from heaven. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Much chaos in our country today, is there not? Not to Him. He rules. He's King forever. 
Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10 says to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. That's a temporal reference. Book of Daniel, seal it up. Book of John, remove the seals forever, because the time is at hand. Make it known. Make who known? Make Christ known. The time has started. Without question, I believe that John, in the entire book of the Revelation, will tell us that all has begun in his day. Started in his day. In other words, John has the fulfillment as beginning in his day. Began in his day, it's certainly in our day. That's how I read the book of the Revelation. Apocalyptic literature. Radically important for the life of the church to understand that. The future has begun in Jesus. You can see it. In him. And that's what Daniel is telling us. Paul would have stressed this urgency to the Jews in the synagogue. I will simply stress it to you. If you're not a Christian, flee to him. Time is at hand. If you are, follow him. And don't let up. Persevere in the faith. Lastly, God the Father anoints the most holy. A reference in my mind to a person. It can encompass the temple, of course, but Christ is the temple. Messiah is anointed by the Father, therefore the movement to final completion is unstoppable and irreversible in absolute recovery. As you know from the Gospel of Matthew, the Son was anointed. The Father, the Spirit comes. Urgency is so radical. Isaiah 48, 18. The prophet says, If only you had paid attention to my commandments. If only you had paid attention to my servant's songs then your well-being would be, have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. What a great gospel text. What a great reminder to us that our righteousness will be like the waves of the sea forever crashing upon the shore reminding us of the majesty of possessing the righteousness of Christ. Like the waves of the sea. Unstoppable. A beautiful reminder from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We possess in King Messiah Eternal victory. It can never be pried from our living hands and our beating hearts. We are the sons of victory. And this text frames uh, the gospel 
in the accomplishments of Christ. It's also a reminder of hope, profound hope. Having begun our destiny, it's forever sealed in Christ and therefore eternal. Therefore eternal. It started, it'll run its course. What's the course? Well, think for example of 1 Corinthians 15.51 and you shall be changed. Jude 24, make you to stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. That's how you will stand before God the Father because of Jesus Christ the Son. Before the eternal glory of God, He will make you to stand in the fullness of joy because of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. What a compelling reason to flee to the Savior and to follow Him all the days of your life and to persevere in truth and the majesty of who Christ is and what He's become. Gospel of forgiveness and hope. The world has none of it. We have it all. In one eternal person and one eternal act. Christ. Well, because of time, uh, cannot uh, finish the text, but uh, as you know from the reading, the Jews uh, reject the Scripture and Paul symbolically rejects them shakes his garment, leaves. Judgment has begun upon them. And God affirms in a dream uh, to Paul his presence to protect him. Uh, irrevocably linked to Jesus, and so Paul can continue courageously in pressing his commission. Uh, the protection is temporal because they will eventually get to Paul through civil governors, but for a time, uh, God tells him to be courageous and to continue on. Uh, forces of evil cannot get to our spirits. We're sealed forever. Ephesians 1, uh, Revelation 7. Uh, characteristically, his opponents bring civil charges against him. The civil governor denies them. I, I pray remind you perhaps we should pray that uh, our civil governors will leave us alone, that we can prosecute our faith. But if they don't, we must be faithful because Christ's a faithful witness. Because of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, compelling reasons to persevere in the faith. Uh, these are such beautiful promises that they really uh, serve as uh, the entirety this morning of my introductory comments uh, to the sacrament of the Lord's table. What did Christ do? Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Who did He do it for? If you're a Christian, He's done it for you. And you say, Phil, it's tough persevering. It's probably going to get tougher. Well, He comes again uh, by His Spirit to remind you of His presence to give you food and drink. And to tell you that uh, you uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. We come to be reminded of all the benefits that accrue to us in the New Covenant. Uh, we, we, we come partially as a memorial, but more than a memorial, uh, we come to fellowship with Him, to give Him thanks to worship Him. 
And to say this day, having uh, partaken of the sacrament, I have renewed strength to press ahead. That's what he did for me. And so I'm going to pray here momentarily if you're on the north side of the church. You can come, the elements, and take them individually from the south side here in front. If you're in the balcony, you can come to the middle. Or if you the line's a little long and it's short up here, you can certainly come up here. But there, for everyone who's confessed faith in Jesus Christ, who's been cleansed of all unrighteousness, and who are not living in known sin. And I remind you of that. It's not something to take lightly. But our Savior comes to give us Himself, to remind us of who He is. After I pray, simply come. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a profound season it is to come full of joy, not just because of Advent, but because of the prophet Daniel. Because to us as believers, the end of the ages has invaded our hearts. And we are because of what He has done for us on the cross. The prophet Daniel has told us what he has done. And now we come to worship in thanksgiving. Uh, we come to fellowship with Him. As we eat and drink, it's not in the eating and the drinking. It's in the faith that apprehends the majesty, the beauty, the awesomeness of what it is to know Jesus Christ, the only Redeemer of God's elect. thank Thee for the sacrament. We thank Thee for the blessings that we live in now. Victory in Christ. Victory now. Victory forever. The joy of the faith may it abide richly upon us. Uh, for all of us uh, who labor uh, as we are weakened, give us strength by faith because of Christ our Redeemer, whose name we pray. Well, I want to thank you for uh, coming uh, to be with us uh, this the Lord's Day. A couple of announcements uh, in your bulletin. Um, because of uh, <laughs> this virus, um, Johnny's has such uh, severe restrictions best just to have box lunches here on the on the 20th so uh, just bring that to your attention a great reminder though to just pray it's someday soon by God's power this thing would abate and uh, recede and we can return to the fellowship of the church I uh, I do think our church has been uh, profoundly harmed uh, by the virus uh, the hearing of the word and the sacraments just pray that God would work and one day we can be restored to the fellowship of the saints. Um, 
John quickly discovered uh, $40 um, laying in a pool of water last Sunday. If it wasn't meant to be given, <laughs> uh, please come see me. We'll, we'll get that restored. I'm just presuming someone brought it for an offering and uh, slipped out of their pocket or purse or whatever the case might be. Um, so, again, if that, that's important to you, we certainly understand. I, just, just make that known. Does anyone have something they'd like to bring to God's people before uh, we are dismissed? Um, continue to ask you to pray that the Advent season, even in this season in America, might be radically special to us. Uh, and that uh, all who know us, wherever we live, would uh, uh, see it uh, and know that our hope is real. Well, let's stand for concluding prayer and a word of benediction. Our Father, we thank Thee for uh, the reading and the hearing of the Word. We ask Thy Spirit to compel us uh, to continue believing and to continue to follow because of the great accomplishments of our Redeemer, namely Christ. And now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.